Can you really be that stupid? What are you talking about? Where were you last night? I was out with the guys. Why? Well, because you didn't even tell me. You just didn't come home from work. I don't think I have to read. I told you to take your allergy medicines. You're not sleeping at night. You're snoring all the time. They're asking me a thousand questions. I don't ever do myself. I'm busy out there trying to make room and do instead of just homework. Don't talk to myself. You go ahead and work. I'll talk to him. Why you're not doing? We need to grow up. So you really just need to sit down now. You just act like such a baby all the time. It just needs to get better. This is why the get up there. Six in the morning. I just need to get better. I'm the man of the house. I get to say. I'm telling you what I mean. You don't understand, but you're not paying attention. You don't listen. You're on your phone. You're working. You're distracted. Good morning, church. We are so glad, uh, just as Dick mentioned earlier, to have you this weekend. And uh, today is, uh, we're a week away from uh, Easter weekend. And so one of the things I want to just remind you of uh, is that e even though you're a week away, that we, we can all be uh, just encouraging ourselves to think of that one person that maybe isn't currently going somewhere that we could invite to be a part of next weekend. And so I encourage you uh, that here in just a moment, as we pray, that you would take just a second and ask God just to reveal uh, someone on your heart and your life uh, to uh, invite next week. And so we obviously know that uh, invitations can be awkward, but we encourage you to do it nonetheless because there are people who will come to church if you'll simply ask them. Uh, this week uh, is our final week in this series called Behind Closed Doors. And so we just want to welcome everyone, not only here on the Wills Point campus, but those that are joining us right now online, as well as the Edgewood campus. Uh, today is uh, a day in which we are uh, not going to close it in the way that maybe you thought we would, uh, but we're actually going to share a story of what God has done in a couple's life uh, in ways that uh, they have uh, really experienced life behind closed doors and also how God has brought some freedom uh, because of the vulnerability and the openness of their communication over the years. And so Paul and Elena Abel are going to come here in just a minute. Uh, and uh, they've, they've got just a, a really cool story, a story of two individuals that you would have never paired together because of their backgrounds and because of their personalities, but also a story of how God brings two people together and uh, can unify them for the purposes of his kingdom and and ultimately of the gospel in our lives. And so I, I think that today you made a really good decision to be here. And then I'm going to go ahead and go on a limb, and I'm going to give you a pastor promise for next weekend that it's another great weekend to come. And I'm telling you that if you have friends that are adamantly opposed to coming to church, next weekend's a great weekend to bring them because of the message uh, of hope that we're going to share, but also because of the, the environment of, that they can come as they are no perfect people allowed, and we're gonna we're gonna welcome them, and they're gonna ha we're having a great weekend, and so just don't miss the opportunity to take advantage of bringing a friend next weekend, <laughs> and so you're blessed today, and you'll be equally as blessed next weekend. Uh, let's pray together, and then we're gonna welcome Paul and Elena as they share their story this morning. Heavenly Father, we love you, and we thank you for the pleasure of being called the church, uh, the people of God. That we, God, we've been called out of darkness and into the wonderful light of Jesus, and we thank. Thank you, God, for your forgiveness and your grace and your mercy. God, I'm so thankful for the story that you're going to allow us to hear this morning, a story of, of two people uh, that most of us wouldn't have paired together or put together on our own. But Lord, just the way that you uh, use um, your 
your grace and your mercy and your provision in our relationships. It just turns out to be a beautiful picture of, of who you are and what you can do with people. And God, I'm just so thankful that I get to hear this story. And I'm so thankful that all my friends uh, here in Wills Point and Edgewood and those joining online get to hear oh, what a, a wonderful story of grace and redemption and hope and uh, two people that are living in unity together. And God, I'm also so thankful for their vulnerability because they're going to share a couple of things today that a lot of people wouldn't share and wouldn't really want other people to hear. But I just pray you would give them courage and strength and hope uh, as they share with everyone that's listening so that our hearts may be encouraged. And I pray everything that is done today is for your glory and our good. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And so church on both campuses, if you don't mind, just uh, give a warm welcome to Paul and Elena Abel. Thank you. Um, Paul and I, am I on? Yes. Paul and I are very humbled and honored to be with you today. Uh, when we were first asked to give our testimony, I thought, um, why us? Because there's been so many great testimonies um, given through the stories and, and through Reengage the Marriage um, series there. And the Lord was so sweet to come and say, um, have I not done um, enough in your life that you don't want to be on stage and, and give him glory? So um, I, I, I acknowledge, yes, he has done so much. And we're so thrilled to be here um, and tell you uh, our story that he has um, brought about. Um, in the first service, my background that I'm fixing to tell you took 12 minutes, so y'all are going to get the condensed version because our time went up really fast. So uh, just to tell you a little bit about my background, I was raised in a uh, very conservative home. Uh, we were very family-oriented as far as um, my um, family was very intentional on raising us to... Um, to love the Lord, have a relationship with the Lord, and to um, and to follow um, His word, and uh, it was very rule based, um, very um, religious as far as uh, that kind of religious meant more godly kind of thing, and um, uh, it wasn't until Paul and I were um, engaged, and Paul kind of asked me, you know, those things that um, that you uh you do in your life like uh not wearing pants and not going to movies and this and that and he said is that you or is that your dad and i said like is there a difference like we just do that right and so he really challenged me to um to think about that and to really d decide on my own what the Lord had for me as far as um, convictions and things in our life. But um, my background is very different from Paul's. Like I said, being raised in church, our independent Baptist church, where we um, had a lot of good teaching and a lot of Bible knowledge, um, and, uh, and our family was very focused on that, um, and Paul's uh, was not so much. What, tell us about yours. Okay. Uh, well, I was born when my parents were 16 years old, so um, I was I, I produced a shotgun wedding. So, um, so that, anyway, I have pictures of me as a as a young kid with my as as an infant uh, with my parents in their graduation high school graduation gowns. So, um, at about you know you can imagine being 16, 17 years old trying to raise a, raise a kid. About five years into the marriage, my parents divorced. And my dad joined the Navy. So during my growing up years, my dad was was in the Navy, um, and my mom married my stepdad at the time, who who happened to be an alcoholic. Um, so about three or four years into that marriage, 
they they divorced. Now, my stepdad at the time, um, he, he really did love my mom, and he quit drinking, um, came back, and um, she took him back. And he became kind of a father figure to me during that time because um, I, I my dad being gone um, in the Navy at that time during kind of my growing up years, my stepdad became that figure to me. Well, about 13 years old, when, when my dad got out of the Navy, uh, I woke up one morning to uh, George Jones playing on the radio. Um, I still remember the song was, um, If Drinking Don't Kill Me, Her Memory Will. And and beer cans just all over the the um, house. My mom's clothes thrown out in the yard. And my mom had um, had an affair with my uh, dad. With my uh, had an affair with my dad and um, ended up remarrying my dad. Having gave birth to my brother, so there's a 14 year difference between me and my brother. Um, just being led along that path for my life kind of led to a rebellion in my life in my teenage years like 13 14 15 16 year age age and also at the time I I am a thinker I'm a, kind of an introvert and I'm a very introverted person but I um I'm often in deep thoughts and it takes a lot to convince me of something and um being rebellious and having that atheistic kind of thought in my mind um, and a negative view of the church at the time, uh, that, that was my, my formative years of, of who I was. And through a series of circumstances with a friend of mine, um, he brought me to church for, for girls and pizza. It wasn't, for, um, it wasn't to, to hear about the Lord. But our youth minister loved the Lord, and through his prayer and through his um, sharing of the gospel, I, I came to faith in Christ. Um, so during that time, he brought me to a seminar in Dallas, a church seminar, and that's where I met Elena and her um, sister. And, um, when, and after I graduated from college, they were the only people that I knew at the time in, in Dallas. So I went to Criswell College. Because uh, I'd just gotten saved, and I thought, man, um, I, I was eager in the faith, and I thought that would be a good opportunity for me to continue to grow in my faith. So they were the only family that I knew at the time. So during those years that I was in college, I was at their house quite a bit and became friends with them and uh, took a liking to Elena. And it took me about seven years to convince her that she needed to, to marry me as well because the, the feelings weren't mutual at the time. So um, anyway, so... We got married, and when we got married, we brought with us um, two very different backgrounds and very different personalities. Um, and, and one of the major differences is with us is our um, our need for change, our need for adventure. Uh, Elena would be totally happy eating the same food, going to the same places each week, um, playing the same games. If it works, don't fix it. Yes. You just keep going with what you got. Now, me, I'm a risk taker. Like, I don't want to go camping. I want to go camping in Alaska. And I, I don't want to just go to Alaska. I want to be out in the wilderness on a canoe, um, fishing salmon and cooking my salmon over a fire. You know, it's just that that's the kind of adventure that I got. And, and it takes a lot to kind of um, to, to scratch that itch for me. So um, for Elena, that was quite a shock, and that's led to some interesting times in our marriage. Um, 
So our personalities were different, and then we had some circumstances in our marriage that um, brought us to um, some crises and some times of isolation. And I'm going to let Elena share um, one of the major, first major things that we had in our marriage that, that led to a, um, a time of isolation. And if you want to go and talk about Peyton. Um, well, our um, second child, um, third child, when you have seven, you know, sometimes you just kind of lose count. Uh, so our our third child, second boy, was born in 2001, and um, ha- was born with a, a half of heart, pretty much. He had hypoplastic right heart syndrome. So he uh, was born with half a heart, and he went through a series of surgeries, and, and God is just so faithful. I mean, his story through Peyton's life and how God led us every step of the way and 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 open the doors, and, and at times when we thought he's not going to make it through this night, um, God just brought the peace and the comfort um, to know that he is in control and that he had Peyton um, in, his, in his hand and, and was, was going to take care of him. And, and so um, he was wonderful. He did not live a uh, sickly life. Uh, the first uh, two years, he, we, did, we did our surgeries, we recovered, and we went on with our life kind of thing. Um, and in uh, 2004, two days before his third birthday, um, we uh, woke up in the hospital. We were recovering from um, his third surgery, um, kind of normal stuff. Uh, I woke up. He started throwing up. Uh, obviously, he didn't feel good. By 2.30, they were doing CPR, and by 5.30, he was, they, they quit. Um, I don't use the dead term very often. <laughs> it's not because I don't like, do. Uh, it sounds too final to me. And in my mind, and he is in heaven with our Lord and, and very happy and alive. So um, five o'clock, they were done. And, um, and it was just a shock to us. I mean, yes, he was sick. And yes, he had um, physical issues. But uh, I had full faith that this child could live a long, healthy life. Um, and, um, so Paul and I really bonded through that time. We grieved together. Um, we hurt together. Um, we, uh, we were, it, w- it wasn't a difficult, difficult time in our marriage because, uh, the Lord's presence just kind of just carried us through and we held on to that and held on to each other, um, until about nine months after his death. And, um, um, there was something in me that just, knowing that first anniversary was coming, I felt like my heels were in the sand, and I was just like, no, I can't, I, I can't, what do I do on that day? I mean, what, when December 8th comes, like, it, w- it was just devastating to me to think that I couldn't say anymore. Last year at this time, Peyton was, you know, doing this or saying these words or we're making this memory. And that was so comforting to me all this time. And, and we were coming to this one year and I just um, was really struggling. And Paul, on the other hand, because we're different in every way, uh, was not struggling as much. He doesn't do um, he deals with his emotions and he moves on. And me as mama, my arms were still empty of this child and I still was struggling with him not being there with us. And the Lord, um, in this isolation period of my life, um, was so faithful to come and, um, and guide me to a grief share program. And I think I only went three or four times. So it was just exactly what I needed to heal during that time and to be with other families and um and also the holy spirit um is so faithful to meet you right where you are and he he knew i needed something come december 8th he knew i just couldn't go throughout the day and um 
uh, and just kind of and waller. I was just going to waller because my baby was gone. It was a year, and I never wanted that year to, that year marker to come. So um, he he brought to me and he said, you know, "Celebrate his life." Don't, you know, there's so much to celebrate with who he was and, and the God stories that came from him and our faith that was so incredibly increased because what we had seen God do in this child's life and in the years that he had given him. And, um, and so that's what we do. Now on December 8th, now for um, 13 years, we celebrate Peyton and we have, um, we, we eat all of his favorite foods, uh, we, white bread, butter. My mother got him addicted to Coke, so we drink lots of Coke, and we bake all things chocolate. So um, everything a heart patient needs. Yeah. <laughs> hey, he he enjoyed his food, and uh, and God took care of that part. So, uh, anyways, it was it was a it was a very hard time of isolation. Um, because I'm so used to whatever I'm doing, Paul is feeling it with me, or he's guiding me through it, and um, and at this point, he just he he um, he did give me a book to read by John MacArthur about children in heaven, and that really also helped me totally refocus on not that my baby's not here anymore, but that my baby's in heaven, and that he is glorifying the Lord in exactly where he needed to be, and because of God's sovereignty. I didn't need to question anything because he had Peyton in his hands and he knew exactly his days and how many he needed to be here and um, in his timing um, he finished that. So that was very comforting and and the Lord was very faithful during that isolation period for me. Yes, so um, for me, um, the, the death of Peyton was... I deal with the emotions, like she said, I deal with the emotions and then I move on. So for me, and, and we have a difference in that because she's, n- maybe, have you been to the cemetery? Okay. I go every year, but I go alone um, to the cemetery. That's, that's, <clears throat> that's the one time I just allow myself to grieve. That, but then when it's done, I just, I move on. I, I, I shut that door and, um, and some of that is, you know, I was a firefighter for 14 years, so you see a lot of death. And um, I don't do dead bodies. I don't, you know, I, I don't want to see them. If you have an open casket, I'm not coming to your funeral. Um, I, I, my grandmother at a visitation, I don't, I don't go inside the room. I just, I don't do it. Um, I, I keep that door shut. So um, that's kind of how I've, I've dealt with the death of Peyton. So for us, it's a, it's kind of a, a weird day. Um, they're eating chocolate and um, and celebrating, and that's my time when I, I go out to the cemetery. The cemetery is a very rural area. It's up on a hillside, um, very peaceful. It's usually like, I mean, every year it's just it's just a time where I go and I can I can pray and reflect, and um, <clears throat> that's my time for that. So. So that was one of the major struggles of our marriage, um, but Peyton, the the just the blessing that his life was was um, such a it's such a blessing to other people that it really carried us through that time. Um, now a more trying time for us in our marriage. Actually, said we have we have seven kids, so and that kind of was our intention. We actually intended to have twelve in the beginning. Um, and my mom, she, my mom made the statement, like, she's not worried about that because they have to have them one at a time. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, the time that once we got to seven, we thought, yeah, that's, you know, you know calf rope. 
Um, that, that, was, that was the time that we were going to stop. So, um, but, you know, we were married in 97, so by the time of Peyton's death, we had um, five. Five kids at the time of Peyton's death. So from 97 to 2004, we had five kids, and I was the sole breadwinner of the family. And, and remember, I, I'd kind of, for the most part, been an only child growing up. Um, and I just, and, and we had, something we'd left out is when we first got married, we started a church with another couple. Um, and that church, it, it failed, it flopped. And, and I think starting out, I had a lot of pride about, you know, we're going to have 12 kids and we're going to raise godly kids and we're going to start this church and, um, man, we're just going to live this exciting life for God. And the church failed, the kids proved, um, trying to get kids to behave proved a lot more difficult than we imagined. Like we were going to have like these kids, you know, that walked in, yes, father, yes, mother, what would you like me to, you know, that was kind of our idea of what, what was going to happen. And, and they quickly, um, they quickly shattered that dream for us. Um, so dealing with those failures and I, I, I felt um, kind of disillusioned at the time. Uh, I, I felt like, you know, I, I go to work um, to be the breadwinner and come home, I'm exhausted, I've got, you know, and th these kids, you know, five kids, there were six, we had five kids, six and under, so, um, and, and, and you know, Lena's stressed out, she's at home with five kids, six and under, and I'm coming off work to, um, to that environment, and, and during that time, something, back when I was, uh, an old sin came back into my life, when I was, uh, a young kid, um, my stepdad, we lived way out in the country. We had a chicken. We called it the chicken coop. It, there, was no, there was no longer any chickens in there, but it used to have a bunch of chickens. But it was, um, but he had bags and bags of porno magazines back then. Um, and so I was exposed to it at a, at a very young age and became a habit through my, from probably at the time of 10 years old till um, going up through my um, teenage years to the time that I became a Christian. Well, work, at the time I worked at a, a uniform delivery company, Centos, and we would deliver to, um, to auto mechanic shops, you know, construction workers, those kind of things. Well, porno magazines were all over the place, in their bathrooms and, and everywhere. And so I chose to open that magazine. And this was pre-internet days, or just when the internet was coming on. Um, and so that's where it started. And... Then the internet came on, and it became just that more easily accessible. And then iPhones came around. Now you could carry it with you. Um, so it just became, and to me, pornography was like an alcoholic's drink or a drug addict's drug. It was a time when I could escape the stress of life. Um, that They didn't require anything of me. They just gave me pleasure. And... That was that was my secret. That was my secret life. As far as I know, I don't I don't know of anybody that knew. Um, I, I kept it secret, and you know, growing up in a I mean, after I'd I'd been through a Bible college for five years, and I'd been in church since I was seventeen years old. Uh, you you learn the lingo. You learn what you can do. You know, you learn how to say the right things. You you learn how to go through the motions, and and you can live that way for a long time. Just, just live in that, you know, go to church, say the right things, 
and, and put on that facade. And, and that's what I was doing for a long time. And, um, and because of that, because God wasn't there, you know, the Holy Spirit wasn't guiding my life during that time. And the, the old atheistic doubts began to creep back in. And I can remember one, and to me, I'd always held on, my faith had always held on the fact of the resurrection. That had been my, my staple. Because when I started doubting, I started questioning, and I, um, I would always go to the fact that, you know, something happened that 2,000 years ago that, that changed, and, and people believed in Christ. So something happened there, and the, the resurrection is really the only explanation for that. Well, I, I worked late at night at a hospital, and, and I worked in a call center, so we weren't that busy late at night. So I had a chance to, like, look and look at things. And um, I was actually reading a debate between um, – a, a Christian scholar and a, an atheist. Well, the atheist had a very good argument against the resurrection. Um, and I can just remember that night going, because I left there to go to the fire station, so it's 3 in the morning, and I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, my faith's about to come to an end. What little's left. Um, and I didn't know what to do, because my whole life was my faith, in the sense of my outside life. I mean, my family, I was supposed to be raising godly kids. We were homeschooling the kids. Um, I was involved in church. All of these things, all my friends. And I thought, how can I, where do I go? What do I do if I leave the faith? And it was during that time that I read this verse um, in Scripture, and I watched a movie <laughs> that, that led me to a point of where I wanted to repent. Um, the verse is John three, nineteen and 20. And this is the judgment, that light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. And I realized then that... Um, I can't, Christianity without God and without the leading of the Holy Spirit is a very poor substitute for life. It's a very miserable life indeed. And that's what I was living. And I figured that's why a lot of young people are leaving the church today. I really do believe it. It's because when you have a life, of a church life without the Holy Spirit and his guidance and, his, um, and living for him, it's, it's just a really poor substitute for life. You might as well be um, living according to your passions. Um, so to me, I was not allowing God into my life because I was keeping this sin secret. I was in my isolation. I was keeping that hidden, and I knew it needed to come out. So I confessed to some men, and then I confessed to Elena um, during that time, and and as far as my doubts and my atheism and the, the beliefs that were coming back, I, I watched a movie called The Life of Pi, and it's not it's not a Christian movie, but it does have to do with belief in God, and um, it, it contrasts two stories. One's this fantastical story about being on a raft with a tiger and um, all these adventures they was having, and then the other one's just uh, just this kind of mundane story about being stranded at sea. Well, the reporter's interviewing this guy, and he asked him a question. He said, well, what's the true story? This, this story 
this story about the tiger or this other boring story? And he said, well, which one makes the better story? And I realized then I'm, I'm not going to ever have all of my questions of faith answered. I'm, I'm never going to be without doubt. But I do know this, and I can rest in this. The gospel is the only story that makes perfect sense. That's the only thing that makes sense of life. When you think about the brokenness, the sin that's out there, when you think about somebody taking a gun and killing a bunch of kids at a school, and you think about me, why I would take, why I would hurt somebody that I love so, so deeply, why I would do the things that I've done to, to cause pain in her life. Why is that? And it's because of the brokenness and the sin. But it gives us the hope that things can be different. That, there is a, that there's a hope in life and there can be a change in life. So I rest in that now. I, I confess to Elena, and I, I'm just going to let Elena share like um, what happened with her during, um, after I confessed this. Oh, well, of course, I was very devastated. Um, in our, uh, in part of the my mindset that I had as far as people who viewed pornography came from my childhood because... When I was younger, we were the ones that um, would make our big signs and stand out in front of the gas stations that were selling pornography and picket them and, you know, tell everybody not to visit here and all that. So my mindset when he told me that was somebody that, you know, um, that was, you know, this evil non-Christian person that would would buy that. And Paul didn't fit that form. Um, and so it really... Uh, was hard for me to grasp, and of course, it went through like I'm not good enough. You know, if I only this, or if I'd only change this, or if I could only lose this weight, or something, things like that. So, uh, but ultimately, the Holy Spirit was so faithful to come um, and uh, comfort me during that time, and um, and convict me that um, God had forgiven me of so much, and I needed to get to the point to where I could um, forgive Paul as well. And I totally knew that the ball was in my court. Like he had. For, he had confessed, and um, and it was up to me now um, to uh, to get to the point of of where I could forgive him and where we could uh, be one again in our marriage. and And it took um, a little while, just because. I was so uh, broken, and like I said, my mindset, I'm not a thinker like him, so it was very shallow in that the people who view pornography are the ones who have loser lives and just need that, um, you know, that thrill for them, and not a husband that was married with kids and, um, and a Christian relationship and a relationship that was honoring the Lord um, kind of thing, so... He was very faithful. I did feel very isolated again in this um, situation because I remember the motions um, of uh, feeling so saddened. And when I was sad, I usually just, you know, go to him and, and comfort and, you know, talk me through it and, and pray about it, that kind of thing. And yet he is the one that hurt me. And, um, and so it was me and God. And um, God was uh, very... Um, very alive. I remember sitting in front of my TV, there was a couple of songs that I would play over and over again about forgiveness and about how God didn't promise us we'd have an easy life, but he promised us that he would be there in every step of the way. And I would just cry and cry and sing those songs. Everybody would be in bed and I'd be up late at night. And, um, and he did bring me to the point of, uh, of forgiveness and, and uh, being able to uh, to now when those Satan is, you know, does his thing with temptation and bringing those thoughts back, like, you remember what your husband did kind of thing? And I just kind of have to go up and go, hey, 
God's forgiven, I've forgiven him, I'm not going there mentally, and we're moving on. So again, uh, another time when, when God's been very faithful and guided us through that difficult time. So now I want to bring us up to kind of where we're at now in our, our relationship. So um, I read a book here recently, just like within the last year, and it's a book by Bob Bodine, and it's, it's called um, Two Chairs. And, and basically, it was just that it was for people going through a trying time, and, and he said, just set up two chairs, and, and you ask, and that chair, the other chair is for God. And you just ask God, um, do you know what's going on? Do you know what's going on in my life? And the answer is yes. And then the second one is, can you handle it? Can you handle this problem that I have? And the answer is yes. And then the third question is, what's the plan? Okay, God, what's the plan? And I probably started that in about January of this year. And um, and I <laughs> We have a very small master bathroom, but we have we have a three bedroom house. We have um, there's seven, eight of us living in there. Eight of us living in the house. Uh, we have three dogs now and a cat. So, um, so when I get up in the morning, if I go to the living room, the cats are. I, I get up in the morning. I usually get up around four or five in the morning. And I, if I go in there, then, then the, the, either the cat needs out or the dogs need fed or the puppy is, has soiled the carpet or done something. So I end up having there's all this work to be done. And it's like, so um, I, I thought I need a place where I can just go be alone with God. So I set up my two chairs in our master bathroom. I mean, it's, it's probably about as small as this table right here. <laughs> but I've had the most consistent quiet time I've ever had in my life. Um, setting up those those two chairs, and every morning it's almost like um, it's almost like the 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 Old Testament of setting up the setting up an altar or a place to to go. And so I've got two like metal folding chairs that I set up every morning in there. Nobody nobody stirs me in the master bathroom. So um, and Lena's not getting up at five in the morning. So anyway, so those have been very very good times and. Um, and through that, it's been a consistent walk with God. And um, just this week, uh, just actually just yesterday, during that time, I read the verse. I, we're going through reengage here at the church, and um, we really have set our goal is that we want our relationship that we have to be a portrait of the gospel. We want it to declare the gospel wherever we go, that uh, my love for her is Jesus' love for the church, that her respect for me is the church's respect towards Jesus, that we, we want that relationship. We want to, to demonstrate that relationship. And um, in that prayer time I read, it was out of Hebrews, and um, it was, he ever lives to make intercession for us, talking of Christ and his church. And... Um, and I got to thinking about Elena, and I thought about all the things that Christ does for us. He intercedes for us. He's our advocate. He's our friend. And I thought, that's what I need to be. Every day I need to think about, how can I be that for Elena? And it's almost like a training ground for you husbands out there. It's, it's a training ground for you. You think about, 
you know, we, we say we love God, and I, I tell my kids this all the time because they, they get mad at each other and they say hateful things to their brothers and sisters. And I say, you realize you, you can't love God and hate your brother. Do you understand that? And, but how do we love God? How do we show love for God? And what, what, did, what did Jesus tell us in the New Testament? He said, hey, you gave me a cold drink of water. Hey, you gave me food to eat. And then the people are, are puzzled, and they say, when did we give you a drink of water? When did we give you food to eat? And he said, when you did this to the least of my people, you did this for me. So you think about that. When you're with your wife, practice that. All those things that Christ does for his church, do those things. Intercede for her. Be her advocate. Help her. Be her friend. Do all those things that Christ does. You do for her, and that's what I'm striving to do, and I'm by far not perfect. I mean, um, forgiveness has become a way of life for us, but, but that's what we're striving to do. That's what we're striving to be, and so, and I really think, and this is I, one last thing I want to say for the, because for the, I know Merge started this week, and some of y'all haven't been married yet, or you're in serious dating relationships, or maybe you're thinking about, you've got some pretty girl out there that, that you're thinking about, um, man, I'd really like to, to be married to her. Um, build your house on the foundation of Christ. And we had some floods. I mean, you put, you put those, just those two things, um, the, the death of a, of a child and um, a, a, a pornography issue, that can destroy a lot of marriages, and it has. There's a lot of marriages uh, on the waste heap that, that those two things alone and not to mention financial stress. We didn't even get into to those areas. But, um, but in Matthew 7, Christ talks about build your house on the, on the rock, the foundation that's Christ. Because the flood's going to come, and the, the rain's going to happen. The death of a child's going to happen. There's going to be a moral failure. There's going to be something that happens. It may not be these for y'all, but there will be something. Something's going to come along. And if that house isn't built on that foundation of Christ, because that's what sustained us. I mean, I was on the precipice of losing my faith, and, and the only thing that sustained me was that, that, that I did have God in my life. He took me to that point, but he brought me back. And so um, I would say that without Christ as that foundation, and, we, and we've seen other couples, close couples of ours, um, that, that didn't survive. So build that foundation on the rock. Do you have anything else? Okay, thank y'all. We're going to close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come and to share our story. Pray that it would be a blessing to others. We pray that um, for all the couples out here, that they too would uh, make it their goal and their aim and their ambition to um, be that gospel portrait to the world, that um, we can show love and respect to one another and um, and build up your church and um, and, and show the love of Christ through um, the way that we relate to our spouse. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.